from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. March has finally come calling, so it's time to talk tournaments. For the men's squad, desperation is in full effect as they flirt with the bubble and try to get back in the big dance for the first time since the 2014 Final Four run. On the women's side, the outlook is as bright as can be as they earned a double bye to the quarterfinals of the SEC tournament for the first time ever. To cover our basketball bases, today we'll chat with FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry, women's basketball head coach Amanda Butler, and hear the fascinating story of redshirt senior walk-on Lex Edwards. But first, there's no way to sugarcoat the stretch run for Mike White's team, as the Kentucky loss marked their fifth defeat in their last six contests. With just one game left to go in the regular season and a lot of question marks, we asked Chris Harry what trends have contributed to the struggles. If I had to uh, point to one thing, I mean, I go back to the Kentucky game in Lexington. Florida went there as a pretty confident team. They were playing really, really special defense, second in the league and defending in terms of field goal percentage. And Kentucky went nuts up there. Jamal Murray, 35 points, 8 of 10 from three-point line. Um, And that begat a run of some really uncharacteristic defense for this basketball team. And I'll tell you what, Adam, the last three games, Vanderbilt shoots uh, 58% and 10 of 20 from three-point range. LSU shoots 58%, and I think it was around 45% from three-point range. Kentucky comes in here, shoots 53% and 70% from three-point range. So you're not winning games like that. I mean, especially when you're not a good offense. Uh, you really struggle to score points. And Vanderbilt, 87 points. Uh, LSU, 96 points. Kentucky gets 88 points. So Florida's not going to match that. You're certainly not going to match that with a team that just doesn't shoot three-pointers well. They're so limited on offense. He's been talking about this all year. We, You and I have been talking about this ad nauseum. The margin for error is, is so slim with this team. If it doesn't play defense, it's not going to be in a game. And now having said all this, Mike White comes in the post game. He really liked how hard his guys played. And he thought Kentucky, they played very, very well on offense, obviously. And, and he was particularly upset with the defense, but the numbers speak for themselves. I go Florida, 42.6% from the floor, 27.8% from the three-point line. Those are normal numbers for them. 43.2% from the free-throw line. Those aren't normal numbers for anybody. And you take 37 of them, you make 16. That's a recipe for not being able to be in a close game. This is the first thing Mike White was asked about when he came to the press conference, and he seemed to be at a loss for words when it comes to the free-throw shooting. They've tried everything, and it's just mentally not there for this team. He explained uh, what they do a little bit in practice. I mean, they'll be going really, really hard, and then he'll blow the whistle, and they all scatter to their goals, and they have, I don't know, it's two minutes where if they don't make collectively as a team 80%, they're all going to run. And a couple times last week, they hit 90%. And so we know they can shoot free-throws, but it's, again, it's a lot different shooting them in practice. You can't replicate pressure. And uh, Johnny Boone, who's not a good free throw shooter to begin with, he's 55% for the season, but he went three for 11. I mean, he got fouled a lot inside, and I, if I'm the other coach, I'm fouling him a lot too. Kavaris Hayes, one for four. Um, Casey Hill is two for six. That's not unusual really for him. Chris Yosem is both his. Those are free points. Now, having said this, let's say they make 10 more. 
the game is going to be different. Mm-hmm. If the game's closer, Kentucky's playing different. If you say, well, if they had shot uh, 60%, they win the game. Well, it's not that simple. We know the flow of the game would have been different. Circumstances would have been different. All possessions would have been different, and Kentucky would have been on a lot more edge. I tell you, Kentucky shot a million free throws at the end of that game the other day. It was just a very, very long game. By that time, a free throw shooting contest, kind of like at LSU the other night, Kentucky wasn't missing them, whereas LSU was. It's no adage that you're not going to shoot the ball well every night, but defensively, that can always be there. For Florida, who was so good defensively for most of the year, why has that left them down the, the stretch of the season? Well, the most alarming thing to me would be the defense from the three-point line. I mean, uh, three-pointers are, are, are just absolute difference makers. They can, they can kill you if you have a bad night from the three-point line, which Florida's had a bunch of them on offense. You know, you, you, you're really going to struggle to win the game. They've actually won some games when they've had a... Um, uh, poor nights shooting the ball from the three-point line because they defended. To get back to where they were playing in that stretch where they beat West Virginia and they beat LSU early on in the season, you wonder how realistic it is at this point. I mean, we're in March, and there's one game left. They go to Missouri, play the last-place team in the SEC, and it's not going to be an easy game, Adam. It's just not going to be an easy game. Florida went there last year, played the last place Missouri Tigers, and lost. And it's not like they're taking a bunch of confidence on the road with them. And Missouri will be looking to, you know, they're going to say, hey, Florida's coming in. We feel pretty good about our chances. You know, this team's lost four in a row. Let's go get one. So they have to find some sort of answers just to get some kind of momentum going in the SEC tournament. If that means, you know, settling for beating the last place team in the league and taking that with you to Nashville, they're going to have to take that because what choice they have. They've lost six of their last eight games for the last five and now four straight. One bright spot the last couple games has been John Igbunu. He's hit career highs in each of the last two contests for Florida and seems to really be asserting himself, maybe not at the free throw line, but certainly in the low post. Kentucky kind of gave him some of those things, uh, just the way they were guarding him. I got to give the Florida guards credit because they kind of backed off a little bit and drove the pain and found John Igbunu a couple times for some baskets. And I believe he had eight or nine dunks in the game. So uh, we hadn't seen that over the course of the season. He'd had those moments of indecisiveness down in the post, and he didn't see a whole lot of that. And then he was playing against, you know, Scala, Labasere, and Marcus League, guys that can block his shot and did block his shot a couple times. But 12 of 15 from the floor, you're not going to get that every night. We'd like to see that. But uh, Mike White said after the game, you know, he's progressing, he's developing, and that is a bright spot. And that, you know, I don't know when the season is going to end, but that's certainly something that the team can carry over. And there's still a lot of things Johnny Boone can work on with his game, but he certainly gives them a, a post presence when he's playing like that. Then he just got to hit some shots from the outside because those things are falling now. The life of a scholarship athlete can be very glamorous at the highest levels, with the glory that comes on the court and the adulation from students and fans in the community. But what about the other end of the spectrum? That's the space occupied by the walk-ons, little seen and rarely heard, but often critical to the fabric of a team. Redshirt senior Lex Edwards has had quite the journey through his time at UF, and we asked him how he went from student to student-athlete. It started uh, when I was in eighth grade, and uh, Florida was recruiting my brother for football, my middle brother, Lorenzo Edwards, and it kind of used me as a recruiting tool. My brother came on as official. That's when Urban Meyer was here. 
And we actually called Coach Donovan on the phone. He didn't answer. I left him a message. And I told him that in four years, I wanted to play for him. And my grades would be a problem. And by the time we finished meeting with uh, Coach Meyer in his office, Coach Donovan was downstairs waiting for us. Took pictures with him, shook his hand. And over the course of the four years of me going to high school, I would see him out recruiting. And I would always make sure I reintroduced myself. And uh, once I got here, I'll never forget, I was... Um, riding my scooter back to Springs, and he and uh, Oliver, the old video coordinator, were outside talking, and I just went up to him, asked him if he remembered me. He said, yeah, and he told me he wanted me to uh, come to the tryouts. You mentioned your brother, Lorenzo. You have a long family history here at UF. Talk about that family tree a little bit and why it was so important for you to come to Florida as well. Um, it started with my grandfather, uh, Lorenzo Edwards Sr. Uh, he came here. Then on my mom's side, I had two aunts that graduated from here. Then my brother, of course, went here playing football, which you know kind of inspired me. I looked up to him uh, a lot. And then I also had two uh, twin cousins that just recently graduated the year before I did. So I just wanted to, I guess, keep the tradition going. It's a great tradition to be a part of. Uh, it's a great school. And when I have kids, hopefully they'll want to come here as well. You had a lot of offers to play D1 football, and, and you chose to come here instead. Can you talk about that decision, and do you have any regrets about that? My decision to come here was based off academics. I chose to come here with my future in mind, and uh, my parents really stressed what it meant to receive a degree from here. Um, I think about it sometimes, you know, how things would be if I would have went elsewhere to play football, but I don't regret anything. Everything that has taken place, being a part of Final Four team, getting to be a part of two phenomenal coaching staffs, I mean, I wouldn't have got that experience anywhere else. And the networking I've done since I've been here, it's been an unforgettable experience that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Each walk-on has their own story, and you came in with Jacob Kurtz, right. who became a really key member of the team, at one point a starter. Right. What was it like to see him and experience that with him as he went through such an interesting trip? Man, it was inspiring. It was, I don't even know how to describe it, because I knew Jake prior to coming to UF because he's from Oviedo, which is right by Orlando. He uh, went to high school with a real good friend of mine, uh, Marcus Daniels, and they played on the same high school team together, so... I mean, just to see him, the growth and the big jump that he made, and it, it kind of uh, sent the message that it can be done. It's possible. And all you have to do is just believe because he, he worked so hard and he knew what he was doing. He knew the plays. He knew where to be on defense. He just had a good feel for the game. His basketball IQ was very high. So, man, I was just so proud of him. We had that bond, you know, walk-ons, do it for the walk-ons. So that was real cool, man, to see him uh, get to experience all of that. As a walk-on, there's a lot of misconceptions about what that means. So what are the biggest differences between being a walk-on as opposed to being one of the scholarship athletes? I kind of use the, a comparison to the guys that are, are behind the scene of a movie. Do the dirty work, try to be low maintenance. And, I mean, from my standpoint, just try to develop my teammates, both in life and on the court. You left the team after your freshman year and then came back. But before we talk about coming back, I'm curious, what was life like for you as just a college student, and how did that differ from this life? It wasn't satisfying. Um, after my freshman year, we went to the Elite Eight and experiencing that, and then me leaving, I don't even know how to explain it. had a lot of time on my hands. I didn't know what to do with my time. It became a routine. I'd go to the rec, play pickup, come home, do homework, and that'll be it. That'll be my day. Whereas, too, you know, when I was on the team, it was practice and meetings and just being a part of that family atmosphere, man. That's what I, I had missed the most. 
and seeing them go to the Elite Eight again that year, it was just uh, probably a decision that I really didn't agree with over a certain amount of time. But you live and you learn, and I was fortunate enough for them to be able to have me back the following year. And then you got to be a part of Senior Day a year ago, and, and now here you are again. So did you think you were done, and how surprising was it to get another chance to come back and be a part of the team? I actually did. thought it was done and over with, time to get a job. But before I even had made the decision or thought I was done, Coach White and staff made it clear that if I wanted to come back, my spot, my locker was still there. What did it mean to you when the coaching staff did reach out to you and said that they would want to have you back? It meant the world. I said a lot about my character, the way I was raised. It all came out. And for Coach Donovan's staff, the previous staff, to have nothing but good things to say about me means that you know I was doing my job. That's all I wanted to do was do my job and do it well. And so for them to actually want me back, man, it meant, it meant a lot to me because you know you work so hard for something and it may not show in the way that other people may see it but the smallest way like that them just reaching out and voicing their opinion of of actually wanting me to come back because of the value that I may bring to the team even though it's not on the court um, it just meant the world to me. During games you sit on the bench right next to the coach that has the scout for that game what role do you occupy there and how are you helping in game? We do scout team for the team that we're preparing for so I have a good feel of, you know, their play calls, what they're going to run. I try to provide help if uh, the scout coach or coach or anybody misses something or doesn't see something, a guy checking in during a timeout, shot clock, whatever the case may be. I, I just try to stay on my toes about everything and uh, make sure I'm aware of everything that's going on. So being a part of the scout leading up to the game really helps with uh, knowing what's going on as well as trying to learn the game as well, being groomed into possibly coaching in the future so that's what that's all about was that something you thought about before you came here or is that whole future as a coach sort of developed in your time here with the team definitely developed in my time here watching coach donovan and his staff and now watching coach white and his staff has been eye-opening and just to see the gratitude not from any amounts of money but more so in the development of us into men and and that's what's satisfying at the end of the day just watching people grow and being able to help them grow into the people that they want to be when you're on the practice court you get to do a lot more than we obviously get to see in the odom what are some good stories from practice where you've maybe taken someone on or done something that no one else got to see oh man uh we have a rebounding drill, circle blockouts. You can ask anybody that's my drill. Doesn't matter who I'm going up against. Doesn't matter who's trying to box me out. If I can get a hand on the ball, it's going to be mine. And there's plenty of stories, film you can watch to explain that. But I can vividly remember, I want to say it was the Kentucky Scout. And I had D Rob guarding me, and I gave him a, a quick jab, and he fell. And I just <laughs> shot a, a jumper. Whole gym went silent. <laughs> so that's definitely something I remember, especially since he got me back uh, yesterday. So I'll definitely never forget that. The Rowdies always like to say it's Lex 2X Edwards. Why two X's instead of one? Well, not a lot of people know this, but my actual full name is Lexton. It's spelled L-E-X-X-T-E-N. So even from high school, I, I had to get that correction because that's what's in my full name. So that's just how I spell it, along with just wanting to be different. Um, anyone you know that Lex is probably spelled with one X, but mine's is two because of my full name. A lot of people look at your career and they say, you scored one point, he hasn't gotten to play, and he's put in five years of work. I think the question most people just ask is, why? 
the bond, the relationships you build, being a part of something special. Self takes a backseat to all of that. And being a part of this has taught me not to be selfish, to be selfless. And I've grown a lot. And like I said, I don't do it for the accolades. I don't do it for any of that. The friendships I've established mean more to me than any of that. Mean more to me than scoring the point, mean more to me than playing. You know, I've dealt with that. And I've actually had somebody tell me that not everybody can say that they made this team. Not everybody can say that they were a part of this program. So whether you score 20 points or zero, 10 minutes or none, not everyone can say that they've done what you've done. And so that kind of is always in the back of my mind. But just more so being a part of this group, being part of all the groups that I've been a part of and getting to know the people I've gotten to know has made it worthwhile. Um, had I not been a part of this team, I would not have had a friendship with Brad Bill. would not have had a friendship with Devon Walker, Mike Frazier, those guys that I've gotten really close to. And to me, that means more than anything that you can think of that you can throw at me. It's been a banner season for Florida women's basketball, bouncing back from a losing campaign last year to finishing the regular season 22-7 and 10-6 in the SEC. To put it in the best perspective possible, last year the Gators played on Wednesday of the SEC tournament. This year they're playing on Friday. We asked Amanda Butler the biggest reasons for such a remarkable turnaround. There's obviously not just one reason. Um, uh, there's multiple reasons. And, you know, the thing uh, about last year's team was that we weren't as far off the mark as it seemed, too. We lost a lot of close games and, um, you know, just were maybe a player or two shy, maybe a player or two shy, um, you know, a few things not going our way. And uh, and that snowballed into, you know, more negative energy than, than we could overcome. You know, but I think the, the returners from that group started their journey into this season with absolutely a fresh mind. Mindset, the right approach, a champion's mentality, and a level of determination that really set the course for uh, you know the way that this year has gone. Obviously, new additions have made a fantastic impact from our, our new players to our new staff members, and I think it's just a, a combined approach though that has been overwhelmingly positive. And I think another thing that's important to note in that is just having an administration that uh, supports our program and supports um, you know my vision for the program, and, and has really been behind us all the way and uh, you know just really been a catalyst for a lot of the great things that have happened. We talked before about being picked to finish 12th and the way that you handled that with your team. Ultimately what was the most effective way you were able to communicate that to your team to get them to a fourth place finish? Well you know that doesn't feel good you know first and foremost it doesn't feel good to be picked 12th and um, and I think that returning group like I said even though we, we know that we were uh, really shy of where we wanted to be last year. We knew that we had underachieved and we were better than what our record indicated. And so there was still a little sting from that disappointment, and uh, being picked 12th was a little bit more salt in, in that wound. But ultimately, the really prevailing force was just not allowing anything that didn't have anything to do with us to be part of what was going on, and whether that be someone's negative prediction of our team, whether that be uh, any holdover negative energy from the previous year. We just weren't going to let any of those things dictate our expectations. We wanted to generate those from, from the inside out and not let things happen from 
from the outside in. And uh, we had great leadership, a really strong senior class, a really hungry group of returners, and uh, and a really eager group of new players that, that wanted to be part of something special, and that's why they chose Florida. You mentioned the newcomers obviously having an impact, and two of them honored by the SEC, Eliana is on the All-SEC freshman team, Simone on the All-Defensive team, and then Ronnie Williams, a key returner, she's on the All-SEC second team. So just talk about their accomplishments being recognized and what that means. Well, you know, one of the things that I think our team does a great job of and, and did all year long is when there were some individual recognitions, they really absorbed it as, as team recognition. And uh, I think that's important, you know, because Ronnie is a great individual. Eliana, a fantastic individual. Mo, another outstanding individual. But they have a great appreciation for how their teammates lift them up, complement their weaknesses, and make them better players. And um, I think that that awareness and that team approach to individual recognition has really been a strength for us. Um, because although there's been some really great individual success stories, the story of our season has been it's been a different individual every night. It's been a lot of different people contributing in a lot of different ways. And our team embraced that approach from the beginning by sharing minutes, by sharing the basketball by sharing the spotlight and in a really unselfish way that I think has made us really, really a powerful unit. In the past, when you've come to the SEC tournament, you've been part of the bubble talk, and there's a question of, are they in? Are they not in? What do they have to do? What's the mindset coming into this tournament, knowing that you're in and being in such a good position for the NCAA tournament? Well, you know, it's kind of a a secondary thought for us right now. What's most important to us right now is who's our first-round opponent going to be on Friday, and uh, being ready mentally and physically for that matchup. We know it'll be either LSU or Kentucky at this point. Both are very, very worthy opponents. They're both teams that we were able to beat but struggled with mightily. Uh, We have a great deal of respect for both of them, and uh, that's really all we're thinking about right now, and and that's the only thing that we can control is continuing to win and continuing to play our best. And and then the NCAA tournament seeding and all those different things that will be fun to talk about in another week, we'll worry about those when when the time's right. As far as this SEC tournament, you're in a fantastic position, a top-four seed, double bye for the first time ever. Talk about the advantages that that gives you and the ability to help you get further in this tournament as well. I was listening to an interview the other day with Coach Landers, who has a tremendous amount of history in this league, and he made a statement that's very true that, uh, you know, even the NCAA tournament is not as tough as the SEC tournament because you're going to play, even with a double bye, if you're able to continue to win in advance to the championship round, you're going to play three teams in a row, consecutive days that are all top 25 teams. No break in between, you know, no time to rest, no easy game, no first round game that's going to be easier than the second round game because there's such parity and competitive balance in our league this year. And it's even tougher than the NCAA tournament in a lot of respects because the NCAA tournament, you may not be playing a top 25 team in every game. You certainly get breaks between games and have opportunities to prepare and regroup in a way that you do not for this tournament. So it's really important, I think, to have that break on the front end to give our, our team a little bit of an opportunity to recover from Sunday's battle, which was absolutely a battle. I was really, really proud of the way we finished up the regular season with a big win against a very talented Auburn team, which I think is also worthy of an at-large bid. But to give our team a little bit of extra rest and not having to play on Wednesday, not having to play um, on Thursday, is an advantage that we've got to capitalize on. Outside of the obvious goal of winning this tournament, 
with this being the final stage before the NCAAs, what growth would you like to see here in Jacksonville? Like I just said, the amount of toughness that you've got to bring to the table, not just physical toughness of the, the grind of back-to-back-to-back games, but the mental toughness of being able to flip the page very quickly mentally from one game preparation, uh, one game strategy to the next, I think is is very intense and, and something that is an opportunity for our team um, you know, to really try to capitalize on and, and and get better than maybe we have been in the past in some of those elements. But really, it's going to be, I think, hopefully an exaggerated version of what we've already done, and that is to be able to make what we're trying to do the most important thing that's happening on the floor and to do that in a way that goes beyond what the stats read, and that means tight huddles, that means uh, you know, in giving each other a lot of energy through the power of touch, making sure that our bench is the most active and loud and energetic bench that is here uh, making sure that little things like the way we come on and off the floor is one that demonstrates championship energy in everything that we do. But right now, all we're worried about is get a good practice, get some shots up on that game floor, and then be ready for what we know will be uh, a really, really tough battle on Friday. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher to make sure you catch every episode. We'll have a brand new edition for you next Thursday to preview the SEC men's basketball tournament and more, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Jacksonville.